You're listening to Straight from the Heart, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Our teacher here on Straight from the Heart is Senior Pastor Joe Foch. We're currently in the New Testament, going verse by verse through the book of Mark. On today's broadcast, we'll continue our study beginning in chapter 8. Before we finish, I'll give you some additional information so you can contact us with any questions or comments. But first, open your Bible to Mark chapter 8, and let's join Pastor Joe as he continues. Mark chapter 8, Jesus getting away with the 12, desiring to spend time alone with them, having a uh, number of months, a short time with them before his crucifixion, heads up into the area of Caesarea Philippi, not Caesarea by the sea, which was a port that was developed by Herod the Great, named after Caesar. Caesarea Philippi was in the area of Philip the Tetrarch, one of the sons of Herod the Great, and he added his name to the name of Caesar, Caesarea Philippi, up towards Mount Hermon, Banias, where, where Pan had been worshipped by the Greeks, and uh, it was on the, the foothills of Mount Hermon where the transfiguration will take place. So uh, he is there with these men at Caesarea Philippi. It is a beautiful place. It is one of the two main sources of the Jordan River here at Caesarea Philippi. It's coming right out of the side of the mountain, right out of the, of the mouth of a cave, a huge spring, and a, and a, a decent sized uh, stream begins there. And then at Tel Dan also, there's uh, 7 million gallons an hour coming out of the ground there, a huge underground spring coming up. And these two then join together, forming the Jordan River. He's there with the men. It says in verse 27, Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, in their journey, he was asking them, is the idea, he was asking his disciples, and he was saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Now he's taking time alone with them, asking them these questions, sharpening now their attitudes, their perceptions. Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Some say Elias, which is Elijah, because Malachi said Elijah would come. And others, one of the prophets. There's a lot of opinions about who you are, and there's a lot of opinions today. Jesus is one of the ascended masters. Jesus is one of the great teachers. Jesus is one of, you know, the, an avatar. Jesus is one of these, one of those. Um, he's asking them, who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Now, the idea, of course, is risen from the dead. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Matthew says one of the prophets. And look, people cast Jesus into some of these molds today. Uh, certainly, 
Uh, John the Baptist was the one who was not afraid to speak up and cor correct the political ills of the day. You know, it was speaking right to Herod that he was living in adultery and so forth. And there are some today in the church, they strictly see the church as a political influence. That, you know, it's the John the Baptist-ers or something, you know, they see church that way. Then some say you're Elijah, but he was demonstrating power in his life. And then there are sections of the church today that just, they see the power. They see, you know, that's supposed to be what's supposed to be happening in the church is, you know, miraculous signs and wonders. And usually they over-enunciate these people. They're looking for power, you know, and just you see them on the television and the radio. Uh, Jeremiah was speaking about judgment, and uh, that was his main message. And there, there are those. That's the only message they have is judgment, judgment, judgment. But he's asking them, who do you say now that I am? Verse 29, and important. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am, important question, by the way, for all of us to answer. And it's a great question for me personally. And Peter answered and said unto him, thou art the Christ. Of course, Matthew tells us, he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you. Mark gives us a shorter rendition, perhaps Peter um, who mentored Mark, didn't want to talk about the blessings, the thing that the Lord had to say. Uh, Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ. The idea is the Messiah. And he charged them they should tell no man of him because they had part of the truth. When they're saying to him, you're the Christ, it's a little discolored. It's a little imperfect still. It's true, but they don't have all the pieces in place. We're going to see that. And he began to teach them that, now isn't it interesting, he begins to instruct them and teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, that's strange for them. They just said, you're the Messiah. He owned that. They're expecting the Messiah to come and overthrow Roman tyranny and set up his kingdom so that every Jew can sit beneath his vine and his fig tree. These are contradictory ideas to them. That's why he's saying, don't tell any man yet that I'm the Messiah because you're going to tell them I'm the wrong Messiah. You're not going to describe the Messiah that I am. But I've come, and he said, the Son of Man, notice in verse 31, must suffer many things. Necessity. That's why he's come. And he spake that saying openly. He was just talking openly about it. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, he just said, you're the Messiah. Jesus said, don't tell anybody because your picture's not complete. That's obvious if he's rebuking the Messiah here a verse later, that he doesn't have in, in focus what that really means. So here's Peter. He begins to rebuke them. I don't know if Peter's expecting to hear, blessed art thou Simon Barjona again, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but he starts to rebuke the Lord. And look at verse 33. It's interesting. But when he, Jesus, had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, 
but the things that be of men. Now, it's an interesting picture because Peter starts to rebuke him genuinely, sincerely, no doubt. Peter loves him. There's no doubt about that in my mind. And when Peter is listening to him, he just, he just has this experience where he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, my Father which is in heaven. And then in complete contrast to that, now he starts to speak, and he's speaking openly, I have to go. This must happen. I have to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected of the elders, the Sanhedrin, the 70 of them, and the priests and so forth, and handed over, and I'm going to be killed and rise again the third day. And Peter short circuits, and he starts to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this shouldn't happen. He begins to rebuke him. And it says, when he, verse 33, Jesus turned about and looked on his disciples. So what Jesus does is he turns away from Peter and he turns his back to Peter and then says, get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter's behind him when he says it. He's not saying it to Peter. He knows that Peter is not Satan, but he understands at that moment who is there inspiring Peter. He understands where the inspiration of that comes from. When he had been tempted in the wilderness there, Satan tempted him and tried to have him take a different course than the course of the cross. He said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world and all of the glory of them. He basically said there, you can skip the cross. You can be Lord. You can be sovereign without doing this God's way. And he said there, Jesus uh, reproved or rebuked the enemy, he said, get thee hence Satan, which is our same phrase, get thee behind me Satan. So he understands where the inspiration is coming from here, and he turns his back to Peter, looks at the disciples, and he says, get thee behind me Satan, because he knows where this temptation is coming from. He says, and the reason he, he recognizes it, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now, savorist is to think upon, to have on the mind, but you know what savor is. It, it has with the idea of the, the thinking that tastes good. You know what savor is. When I think of savor, uh, I think of rack of lamb, personally. <laughs> Just... You know, just a nice piece of lamb, some salt on it, and I put that in my mouth, and that's savoring. Mm, just get that in there and just, mm. excuse me just for a minute. Mm. <laughs> and the, the Lord says, thou savorest not the things of God. It isn't right now the things of God don't taste good to you. You're not thinking about them. You're not going, hmm, but you're savoring the things of man, avoiding the cross, avoiding God's plan for your life, avoiding the very thing you're called for. You're not savoring the things of God. And when he had called the people, now he calls the people together that are there and his disciples also, and he says to all of them together now, Whosoever, notice please, whosoever, speaking to us, to all of us, whosoever will come after me, 
follow in line along with me, walk with me, let him, and we have some interesting instruction here, let him deny himself, which is eridist, take up his cross, present perfect, follow me, present perfect. So, so let him deny himself once and for all. In other words, if we're really going to follow Jesus, and he's not just going to be our Savior, not just going to be fire insurance, he's going to be our Lord, then there, we make up our mind at some point, you know, once and for all, yeah, what I need to do is I need to deny myself. Not self-denial. In martial arts, there's self-denial. Marines are self-denial. You can make yourself into something with self-denial, discipline. This is vastly different. It is denial of self. Denial of self. But we have to understand there's not room for both on the throne. So there has to be a once and for all decision. Now, we may struggle working that out for the rest of our lives, but there has to be an agreement with the Lord about this, if he's going to be the Lord of our lives. We have to be completely agreed with him, Lord, I need to deny myself. I need to get myself out of the way. John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. Lord, I need to do the same thing. So deny self, he says here, that's a once make up your mind to do that. The taking up of your cross is continual, and the following after is continual. It's something that we have to do then continually. Taking up the cross. Look, again, we have people always come in here and say, how come there's no cross? There's no cross. There's no cross. What's that bird doing up there? There's no crosses in here. People always ask that question, you know. Well, it's the Holy Spirit, and, you know, we should probably put a cross up somewhere for some of you. Um, but, you know, but, but the cross, remember, we've glamorized it. We make jewelry out of it. We put it up on walls. No Roman citizen was crucified. Slaves were crucified. Enemies were crucified. Romans were beheaded. It was a means of execution. It wasn't spoken of in proper Roman society. It was no different than the gas chamber or the electric chair. It was a means of execution. You wouldn't wear a little electric chair around your neck. Think of it that way. And when Jesus said to them, you need to deny yourself once and for all, and then be continually taking up your cross, that's a means of execution. Constantly we should do that. Take up our cross and constantly be following. It'll never be his cross. He died for sin. Ours will never be that. And just some people say, oh, my mother-in-law's my cross, or oh, I have such a cross to bear. No, no. It just the idea is the denial of self, the execution of self, selfishness, self-interest, moving self out of the way so that we can properly then be following him, savoring the things of God and not the things of men. That's what he's talking about here. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life, notice, for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. One translation says, find it. So if you, you know, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Again, people who say all the time, I feel like I'm losing it. I feel like I'm losing it. Well, you are losing it. Let go of it and you won't be losing it. You'll find it. Just stop trying to keep it. That's why you're losing it. Let go of it for Christ's sake in the gospel. Only what's done for Christ will last. Interesting, I bet you could ask those here that are 60, 70, 80, you know, and I think it's a natural process with us. When we can see back further than we can see ahead, we get more serious as time goes on. 
about these things. And we want to finish well, all of us. We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But it's all about the next world. It's all about crossing the finish line. It's all about what's on the other side of our last breath. It really is. And I enjoy my family. I enjoy my grandchildren. I enjoy life. I enjoy, I'm an Eagles fan. I like eating rack of lamb. I'm not out of touch with the world. I mean, I'm a human being and I, I thank God for his blessings every day. He daily loves me with benefits. But my anchor, my hope, my longing is there. It's there. No tears, no sorrow, no sickness, no disease, no death, no curse. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever is willing to lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. For, here's his point, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, the whole cosmos, and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Napoleon tried to do that. Hitler tried to do that. The Antichrist is going to try to do that. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And here it's cosmos, the whole created order, and loses his own soul. Jesus says, your soul. It's singular. Your soul. One soul before God has more value than the whole created order of things, than the whole universe. Because that's going to roll up like an old garment, Isaiah tells us. It's going to be dissolved. Your soul is eternal. You're going to live forever. What shall a man give for his soul? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will he give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, savoring not the things of God, but the things of men, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh into the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Look, he just said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, killed, and after three days rise again. Here he says, when the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. For the glory that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He has his, his view on the finish line in all of this. Now, he says this, Verily I say unto you, there was no chapter break here, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now he's talking about the transfiguration. He's not saying there's guys here that won't die till I return. That's not what he's saying. He said, there be some who stand here who will not taste death, he says, till they have seen the kingdom of God coming in power and conjunction connective there. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Mount Hermon, uh, about 11,000 feet, even in Israel in the summer on a clear day, you can see snow on Hermon. 
um, remarkable mountain on the border of Lebanon, beautiful. And there Jesus took the disciples, he took these three with him after six days. Now, what kind of conversations were they having? How long did the, the walk up to the mountain? I, I doubt they went all the way to the peak. You know, what conversations was he having with the 12 about the things he just said? Uh, what conversations was he having with the three as he took them apart and headed up the mountain? And what a remarkable scene this is. It says he leads them up this mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. One of the other gospels tells us they fell asleep. These guys had it down to a science. When Jesus prays, we sleep. And he started to pray and he's transfigured. Metamorphumai, we get metamorphosis. This is the opposite of masquerade. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. To masquerade or to be a hypocrite is to put something on the outside that's not really on the inside so that you appear to be something that you're not. Metamorphosis is being changed from the inside out and what's really on the inside is being expressed outwardly. Like when you know a, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, goes into the cocoon, the chrysalis and comes out, you know, that's what was within it all the time. And here he goes, you know, this metamorphumai, they wake up and he's shining, the one gospel tells us, like the sun. He's glistening like lightning. His clothes it says, are whiter than any fuller on earth could have made them, could have whitened them. The interesting thing is what's shining forth from within him has even changed the color of his clothes. They've been whitened by what's bursting forth from within. He's standing there in majesty and in power as they wake up and they look around. He's transfigured before them and his raiment became shining, his clothing, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can whiten them. And there appeared unto them, Peter, James, and John, with Jesus, Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. How did the guys know? They wake up. If they're like me, light sensitive, it's easier for me to wake up in the summer than it is in the winter. Sunlight shining in the window, I'm ready to go. They wake up, brilliant light, more brilliant than the noonday sun. It says they look around, here's Jesus. Now his glory is bursting forth from within. And he's standing there, and they say simply, with Elijah and Moses. They knew who they were as soon as they looked at them. Isn't it interesting? It says, when we're in the kingdom, we shall know fully, even as we've been fully known. And, and evidently, nobody needs to turn the light on for us while we're there. You know, sometimes now you look at somebody and think, well, the, you know, the light's on, but nobody's home. There, you know, we know fully, even, even as we've fully known. They look up and immediately recognize Elijah and Moses. That's important because, you know, my, my wife will say to me, and your wife may have said to you, honey, will we know each other in heaven? And you say, well, of course, honey, we won't be dumber in heaven than we are on earth. Of course, we'll know. Yes, we'll know each other, you know. And just, um, he sees, they see Elijah and Moses speaking with Jesus. What a remarkable scene.
That concludes our teaching time here on Straight from the Heart. If you enjoyed today's message from Mark chapter 8 and would like to hear it again in its entirety, you can listen to it on our website for free at www.ccphilly.org. Just go to our homepage and click on Listen to Current Messages, then select Straight from the Heart and click on the study with today's date. Today's message number is SPM 541. That's SPM 541. You can also listen to today's teaching from Mark chapter 8 or any other message from Genesis to Revelation by downloading our free app on your tablet or mobile device. Just go to your app store and search for Calvary Chapel Philadelphia or go to our website and click the link for the mobile app. In addition to our app, you can also study the Bible with Pastor Joe by subscribing to our Straight from the Heart radio podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify. If you have any questions or comments about today's message, or maybe would like to let us know how the Lord has blessed you through Pastor Joe's teaching, we'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to contact us by email at radio at ccphilly.org. That's radio at ccphilly.org. For more information on this broadcast or Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, don't forget to visit our website at ccphilly.org. While you're visiting our website, make sure you check out our Daily Devotions page. By subscribing to Daily Devotions with Pastor Joe, you can receive a short, encouraging video message every weekday morning in your email. If you prefer not to use email, you can also find Daily Devotions with Pastor Joe on our free app or by subscribing to our Daily Devos podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to join us next time as we continue with more great Bible teaching that comes straight from the heart.